Hey, welcome back to What's the Plan, your favorite podcast and our last inaugural podcast. Released a little late on Wednesday. I'm going to try to release this one uh, tomorrow, which will be Saturday. Um, I got Dan and Mark here again. As always, uh, we're going to have a, a vigorous conversation about all the great things uh, going on in Monterey County. Um, and we had quite a few downloads. That there's, uh, I was surprised a lot of the old uh, old faithfuls are back. Uh, Jared, Christine, and I would I wouldn't be surprised if Mark's friend Luke is even listening. Oh, very I, I, cool. I with, By the way, these exactly these uh, podcasts aren't released. They're ex- they escape. They escape. They're they're unleashed on the world. But the first, since I I figured out some technology, uh, gentlemen, and I oh. want you to watch. I actually I might be able to do video for the. I might put this one on YouTube if I can figure this one out. But I want you guys to watch this uh, this bit of Salinas news. We're going to go all the way to Salinas for this one. Uh, but here, tell me. Uh, oh, your sound should be coming on just in a second here. So I'm going to share my screen. You should be able to see what I'm looking at. I can well, see. Again, it. Aaron, that car versus bike happened here in front of Salinas High School. So, for- let me start that one over again. So this is a, a news reporter, uh, Frank Cortez. For, no, it's uh, Felix K- Cortez. Oh, Felix Cortez. I'm sorry, for KSBW Channel 8. So let's see what uh, Felix. I, I love this story because this is also a Monterey issue. This is a Monterey County issue, really. So listen to this. Well, Dan, Aaron, that car versus bike happened here in front of Salinas High School. Fortunately, that cyclist was able to limp away. But these bicyclists are getting more brazen in their antics, and they're only asking for trouble. A mangled bike, an injured cyclist, a full emergency response, and partial road closure on South Main Street in front of Salinas High School Wednesday night after a ride-out gone bad. Someone needs to sit them down and tell them in a very firm way that this is not okay behavior. Police say this group of roughly a dozen youngsters were weaving in and out of traffic, popping wheelies and bringing traffic to a stop when one of them was hit by a car. Fortunately, the cyclist limped away. The others let go after a stern warning from police. Group. So, so I just I thought that was funny because I don't know if you've they talk a little bit later in the report about Alvarado Street, but I don't know if you guys have seen this, but they're like everywhere, and they do they are they'll come into traffic and between traffic doing wheelies and stuff, and uh, I don't think it's funny that one of them got hit by a, a car, but I'm not surprised because it seems like uh, they've been doing this for a while, and I guess the police are going to have to start enforcing something there. Did have you guys seen them? I, I haven't, but seeing I've heard about them, and seeing that there also, yeah, give them a stern warning. How about you uh, impound their bikes, cite anyone that's not wearing a helmet, which you're required to do these days. I believe it's it's a law uh, for kids that do got to wear helmets. But in any case, take their bikes and uh, have their parents come pick them up. And my guess is that probably for a lot of them will be the last time they ever do that. And But just giving them a warning, this is the problem. You know, last year, and this deviates a little bit, but real quick, I was looking at stats for, for Pacific Grove the other day, and la- the difference between tickets up to this, or um, arrests up to this time la- last year, uh, this year compared to last year, there's 100 fewer arrests in Pacific Grove this year than there were last year for the first seven months. And I don't know why that is. I'm going to find out why that is. 
But I don't know if the police have gotten tired of it or Pacific Grove's become this place where no crime happens or what. But it's kind of bizarre when you only got to have a few hundred arrests anyway a year. And now we have a hundred less. We also have a ton less uh, tickets uh, given out because I think the uh, we had a uh, parking enforcement person retire and I don't think they've really replaced them. But they're also in the past few days, if you've driven around Pacific Grove, you've probably noticed, and I don't know what this is about either, but they have all sorts of new police officers out giving out tickets. And uh, and there's two, mo- we're even two motorcycle cops I saw yesterday. And to my knowledge, we only own one motorcycle in the, <laughs> you know, for the police department. So it's strange it. what's what this, going on. There's some this, stuff being enforced and other stuff isn't. This goes with uh, my, the comedian Adam Carolla's uh, empty bag theory is that they don't care about like you can have an overturned shopping cart and be selling cooked food on it, but or selling roses by the side of the road. And they probably won't go after you because they know you have no money. You're never going to pay the ticket, but they go yeah. after people who who look like they have money. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's it's what Adam Carolla does. Uh, it's, he he kind of does a bit, a joking bit on it. What do you, hey Mark? What do you think of these uh, wheelie popping kids? I I, I thought I think somebody's going to get killed. Yes, yes. Okay. Somebody's right. going to get killed. But th- this also the brazenness that they talked about in the news story reminds me of pedestrians. And you'll see this when you're driving around. doesn't matter where you happen to be driving, but you'll see this. You'll be driving down the street, and some pedestrian just walks right off the curb into traffic to cross the street like they don't even care that a car is coming. And all, you're supposed to watch for them, but they don't need to watch for you. Well, you know where it's the worst? And, and this is a very specific Pacific Grove place, but I know you guys will be well aware of it. When you're driving on Ocean... Before you get to the tin cannery, you can kind of like uh, pop up to the right there. You know, you can kind of like take that weave to the right on that that kind of diagonal road that takes you up to Lighthouse. You know what I'm talking right. about? Actually, it's not Lighthouse there. It's Central, but it turns into Lighthouse. But uh, actually, it doesn't. No, it's just Central. It, it turns into Lighthouse uh, towards the Monterey side. But when you're popping up there, people will cross there all the time, and it's re- it's really hard to see them. And, uh, you know, I've I've come close to hitting people before because they'll be – halfway on there and you don't see them until you actually start up that hill so i know what you mean mark by the way just want to add right so that interesting topic but uh you know hey uh let's move on to uh i want i would just want to cover uh dan miller our beloved dan miller here at the (laughs) dei task force meeting here is again i'm gonna i'm gonna uh have all my video shares early in the uh in the podcast here possibly video podcast. So hopefully you can see that. And this is the first, and who is this woman, Dan? I believe it's Carol Marquardt is her name. Okay. Yeah. She comes up. This is the second time she's coming up. So she just says, I'm up here again. So we'll listen to this. Welcome. I'm back. Um, we have to talk about the rules of order because I've heard people applauding back here and I heard somebody yelling, shut up, when Mike Gibbs was talking. So we need to be aware of how people are behaving here. And when we talk about the rules of orders, nobody's going to start a riot in here. Um, but there needs to be some decorum and you need to be aware of that. Thank you. All right. Now, okay, so she's obviously upset about uh, Mr. Gibb and the, and the crowd's reaction to him. And then uh, let's cut to Mr. Dan Miller here. <laughs> uh, which I, I will listen to this one in full because I kind of I enjoy this one. Mark, have you did you get to see this? 
I did not, but I, I can tell you I do know um, Carol Marquardt. It's been years since I've talked to her. We both served on the board of the Feast of Lanterns back in the 1990s. Mm, yeah, so here, here we go. I love Dan's Welcome. comments here. So here's Dan. Yeah, um, I'm kind of amazed at some of the stuff that went on tonight. I've been at a 1,000 meetings in this city. I served on the city council for six years. I was on the planning commission for three years. And cutting off Mr. Gibbs on a legitimate question, and it was a legitimate question. It might not be in your eyes. You might not want the question answered, but that was a legitimate question. And as far as this calendar, realize this is the concept of one person and the days they feel need to be recognized. And I'll tell you, looking at it, there's a whole lot of stuff being left off and a whole lot of people uh, not being recognized. And once you start doing a calendar like this, you're not including everybody, you're excluding them. And there you are, Miss Marks, making faces again. I also have a problem having a cultural recognition calendar put out by a person who has been on social media in the past 48 hours calling people Nazis. So, yeah, don't stop me, ma'am. You can't do it. Not legal. By the meetings of laws and Robert's rules of order, I can basically say anything that has anything to do with the what it's is at hand. And what is hand is at hand is the calendar that one of your representatives did. And if that's going to be adopted by anybody, it should be examined what this person is out there in the vitriol that she constantly espouses out on next door in social media. It has to stop. I've said this before, and you and the rest of you have never even discussed how out of line she is with this. And by the way, I've lived here 68 years. So if we're going to count years, in fact, Miss Bowie, I think you went to high school with my sister, and I think you were actually friends with my sister. This is the most disappointing discussions I've ever seen by a committee in this town. Now, thank you. All right. Yeah. Well, there. well, so uh, the upshot is uh, for people that don't know what what happened here. The, this is the DEI committee, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee. And they're doing no including, they're excluding. And if you do not like what, if you're not saying something they want to hear, they cut you off. So these are, remember, these are the same person, This the chair of this is a person that wrote page after page after page about ho how horrible the Feast of Lanterns was. Mm-hmm. And how we needed to apologize as, as a city. and But then she takes up, and this, again, is carried over to the, the next DEI committee meeting because I addressed it in the first three minutes. But uh, she she if she doesn't like it, she cuts you off. And what I was talking about was the calendar, which was the thing. So it's... Well, yeah, Mike Gibbs, all, what he was saying is like, hey, there's only eight days on each month, so there's... Apparently, there's 22 days left in each month, so we should fill them up with like butterfly days yeah. and things like that. Well, and that's because the things they were recognizing were absurd. It was like in Minamar, there is a festival where they sprinkle water on the crowds to forgive them of their sins for the past year. They want that to be recognized in the city of Pacific Grove or some religious following that literally in the entire world there's 120,000 people that follow it but in this calendar and it's and it's kind of radical and in this calendar though 
There's nothing about the Methodists who settled Pacific Grove, for goodness sake. There's nothing about any other religion other what than the, the Presbyterians. Come on. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, there's more Rastafarians than 120,000, I guarantee you, and more people that would like to celebrate like they do rather than water being sprinkled on them. But um, so we've had this going back and forth uh, of what you can say at a meeting, and I was on topic. Seeing that again, I was really on topic. Know, it was actually yeah. very articulate, Dan. I, when I was looking at it, I was like, he, Dan was on fire that day. So, uh, And I knew it riled up again. I wanted to I poke the bear a little bit. But, yeah. And I, I wasn't even going to say anything, but they had cut off, uh, stopped Mike Gibbs from asking if the proposed person that they're proposing to give a third of a million dollars to, to tell us what is wrong with Pacific Grove concerning DEI, uh, he asked, did this guy have any input into this calendar? And they they didn't want to hear it. They said it not on that topic. legitimate question. And, it, and so they're just doing this very – and there's been no apology, by the way, toward me, even though she's been admonished by the city attorney that she was out of line and she's she's not following protocols and, and policies – and the woman that sits there making faces all the time, there's actually protocols and policies that you don't make faces while people talk. Otherwise, you'd be up there going, rolling your eyes, which she does, you know, throwing your pencil across the room because you're frustrated, you know, going, oh, geez, come on, you know, stuff, like, which is what goes on in the back of the room with their supporters, and they don't say a word to them. Now, Not, yeah, Dan, Dan, this is Mark with a question. Is the city attorney required to be at the DEI commission meetings? No. So, no city employee is required outside of the DEI coordinator is supposed to be there, and she's just taking a leave of absence, so nobody really knows what's going to happen because the only other city employee that was usually there is a police person because, you know, like Carol said, you know, all heck's going to break loose any minute. And um, also the city manager used to attend the meetings for, yeah. and nobody knows why. So, so no, my thought is that um, that it wouldn't be a bad idea for a Pacific Grove resident that's concerned about this to go to a city council meeting and ask of the mayor or the city manager that they ask the, the city attorney to attend the next DEI meeting to make sure that when citizens are attempting to exercise their constitutional right to free speech and address the body, that the chair can't shut them down. The city attorney could be sitting well, there and saying, uh, point of order, you can't do that. The speaker can continue. You know what's funny, Mark, is the clip that got me onto this DEI thing was Dan Miller at the city council meeting complaining about getting cut off at the DEI meeting. So. I don't. I don't think you were specifically asking for that. You were just informing the council. It sounded like Dan of what happened. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, and it, and it was basically saying, uh, you know, there there for these people that required the city to uh, um, apologize for the feast of lanterns, they refused to apologize for taking away my first amendment right of free speech. You know, and somehow, you know, Feast of Lanterns, free speech. Let's see, which one are we going to go with here? And uh, the council, I had written all of the whole council about this incident. And out of the seven, uh, the mayor and one council person replied to me. 
So, because um, two of them I didn't expect to, because they're completely supportive of this, you know, this clown school that goes on at these meetings. And and again, as I make it very clear, I'll be the first guy to come forward if I see a DE, you know, something that's in flagrant disregard of DEI. You know, if you're prejudiced, please stay out of town. If you can't, you know, live and let live, please go somewhere else. But on the other hand, don't come and tell me that you need special treatment for any reason. I don't care what your sex is, your color is, or anything else. This concept, you get special treatment because of how you were birthed into this world. You know, it's just insane. And the list gets longer and longer all the time. They're trying to make a day out of every, you know, freaking day of the year. The state just, we just decided the whole month of um, this month, so I think it's October, uh, that the whole month's now going to be Hispanic month. Yeah, so, you, know what, you know what, I uh, I like Mr. Gibbs. His initial comments are very uh, Martin Luther Kingy. It's like the content of your character, not any right. extra factor he talked about we should we should work with people who have done their homework who work hard and are the best not because of some external like indelible feature that they possess and uh i just i want to say on the on the topic of things that we're not allowed to do anymore in in pacific grove that i miss is the dental dentist office that i go to has uh has a photo of fireworks over lover's point (laughs) and i'm sure i'm sure that would never be allowed now probably because it it probably affects the marine mammals or causes fires maybe, or I don't know which it would be, but I'm sure both possibly, but it's just, it's kind of a shame that uh, the way things have kind of changed the way, you know, we've kind of gone too far and uh, a point somewhat rambling on, but a point was I was watching the movie Heathers with my wife the other day. Cause she liked it when she was a teenager and I was watching it with my kids too. And uh, there's a scene in there where someone, someone has, you know, they've been murdered, but, uh, they're purported to have committed suicide. And one of the teachers is like saying, let's have a, let's have a feel in, you know, like let's, let's all get together and talk about our feelings and do all this stuff. And then the principal who's smoking at the time looks at her and goes, uh, call me when the shuttles landed, Miss Peabody or whatever her name is. And, and it's, it's funny because we all looked at each other and we're like, she's in the center of the bell curve now, you know, there, I mean, it's like how things have shifted, you know, where that person would be considered a little bit kind of out there. And now, uh, now it's uh, it's it's the center well, of the center of the. What I've said the past couple of times I've spoken is to just please stop it all. Just please let's get to the point where when I was brought up, the schooling was we're a melting pot and you assimilate. Now it's yeah, yeah. let's divide. Let's divide. And the other day I was talking to someone and it popped in my head. Do you think if you go to Compton down in L.A. Do you think they have a DEI coordinator to make sure there's enough folks <laughs> that, that aren't black that are living in the community and are being hired and being treated well and everything? And they may. But my question is, do they? Do the, does, is there one in South Chicago? Is there one in Detroit? You know, do these, these cities that are prominent, for goodness sake, they just hired somebody as the president of MPC, haven't met the gentleman or talked to him, have no idea where he's coming from or anything else, but his big thing and everybody else, the other finalists was DEI and their experience with DEI. And then I see a thing the other day where the student populate, and he's a, he's a person uh, of black persuasion, shall we say, 
the uh, thing comes out the other day, the percentage of Hispanics and the student body of MPC, the percentage of Hispanics is 43%. Wow. So that's getting to the point where whites are a minority, blacks are really a minority and overrepresented on the board, which is three out of five of the board members are black. 43% of the population, the, uh, the student body is Hispanic and there is not one Hispanic person on that school board. And well, I think, I think I, about I, it. Monterey County, Monterey County K through 12 is 80 some percent. Uh, yeah. either Hispanic or not white, but you know what? You're speaking of other cultures though, because I have a lot of uh, Hispanic friends and they will often call their friends Gordo. So they'll have a guy in the <laughs> Gordo, right? So in the spirit of that, I'm going to find a husky friend of mine and just start calling him fat. I'm just going to find a husky. Hey, fat, come over here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Which, hey, by the way, Gordo was, the, was a, Gordo was a comic that was done by a local guy, I believe. Uh, it's, all, it's all in the name of uh, equality, yeah. but uh, I, I just think it's silly. It's, it is. Yeah, silly, just stop it. Let's just stop. all go about our lives. Like, you know, I do love all people. people. I do love all. Uh, I mean, we have. And that's what's so great about, like, particularly this part of California is we do, like, the people I work with and stuff, it's so, you know, and, and they're very reasonable. It seems like, I, I don't know where the insane people are, because it seems like we read about it, but the the multicultural soup that I work in, uh, everybody's kind of delightful and, and doesn't have any problem discussing some of these topics, and, and they have a pretty good spirit about it. So I, I think it's more bark than bite in a in, in lot. I can't believe we have a task force about it, but I think there's a few squeaky wheels that just kind of go over the top. And the average citizen, though, I think is is pretty pretty much with it. Uh, well, you know, if, if, if the Feast of, excuse me, Feast of Lanterns is our biggest when Mark was on the board. That yeah, was a squeaky. Mark is the Antichrist. I don't know who is. So that, you, and you look at the people that that came out of the woodwork about the Feast of Lanterns. Well, it was just what incredible. happened? But if you really break that down, Dan, and I don't want to spend all this time on uh, PG. I know there's some non-PG listeners, but if you really break that down, it was a couple squeaky wheels. And what happens is you get people that are on like the boards of certain local churches you get people that were involved in the committee for feast of lanterns and they've got important jobs and then they get these the squeaky yeah. wheels come out and they get scared they legitimately are like i'm not gonna you know they care about their reputation they care about their status in the community and they're not gonna they're not gonna die on that hill is what happens and then those that little cadre of people who thinks it's thought it was culturally insensitive and it was. It was a little bit outdated. It could have been reworked, but I thought it was. I mean, even the last year before COVID that I went to it, it was like well attended in, in the families and everything. Oh, People yeah. really had a good time. So, I I think I think they succeeded in killing something that was beautiful that could have been fixed. But let's. I uh, I maybe we'll move on. Uh, do you want to talk about the uh, Calam in an eminent domain uh, water district buyout or possibly yeah, uh, the. The homeless shelter. Okay. Yeah. So, Mark, Mark, you know a lot about Calam. Well, so the water district is going to set a vote on an eminent domain action to uh, force a sale of Calam uh, to the water district. And, uh, I mean, this is like, you know, why are they bothering to have the vote? They're going to do it anyway. You know, why even discuss it? They're not going to say, oh, no, we can't afford this. Uh, you know, I think it's the, the, whole, the whole idea behind 
a lot of the campaigning to get certain people on the water board. This is the end game of it, is to take over uh, the water company. And if people think their water bills are high now, if the water board gets hold of Cal-Am and starts running the water company, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. I think your water bills mm-hmm. are going to go through the roof because I don't know that that, that board has the uh, the the wherewithal to run a water company. And one of the other things that will end up happening, and, and I should mention, Cal-Am, as it is now, is a union operation. It will continue to be a union operation, but they'll become government employees. And, uh, and that means that, uh, you know, <laughs> the union representing those, uh, that the new union that will represent those workers are going to start buying the politicians that sit on the board and that's going to be a big part of your water rates going up is uh can i ask a a question yeah because typically with public domain i mean sorry imminent domain there has to be some necessity so like if you're widening a highway and you have to pay a farmer for a portion of his field the necessity is the the road needs to be wider um and therefore we have to take the farmer's field and we have to have a negotiation and give him just compensation for that that portion of the field that we take, right, as the public. The go- and so the government has to demonstrate that this property is nece- like kind of necessary to achieve some benefit for the public. And how is there a knowable benefit in this case? I mean, like, what, how, what are they going to hang their hat on? I mean, is the knowable, is the benefit lower cost? Or, what, I mean, what's the benefit? Well, the, I think that's what the, the contention has been all along, that... Um, that the water rates are too high, that uh, Cal-Am is ripping off the people, and uh, and only the government can give the public uh, water at a fair price. So that's all that they're hanging their hat on. They can't hang their hat on the fact that Cal-Am you know, hasn't been able to come up with a water solution for uh, the overdrafting of the Carmel River because Cal-Am has come up with you know, a number of solutions over the years, and all of them have been stopped by environmentalists. It's not like Cal-Am has just sat there since 1995 and said, yeah, that's a real problem. Maybe we ought to do something about that overdrafting. No, they've, you know, they've spent millions of dollars trying to figure out, you know, and, and coming up with uh, alternatives, many of which have been stopped in their tracks by environmental groups that... Uh, you know, or, or fearful that that people will, you know, start building too many houses in on the Monterey so to Peninsula. Set, to set up a straw man on the Calam side, so like the Los Padres Dam, if they wanted to dredge it, a lot of people, okay, so they they could dredge it, tear it down, or make it bigger. So, so those are three things they can do to increase the size there. And I'm getting somewhere with this comment. A lot of people criticize Calam because they say they're incentivized for capital uh, improvements. So, so basically what that means is that if Calam can get something approved that spends a hundred million dollars, they get a percentage of that hundred million dollars. So therefore they're incentivized to build something big. So they're incentivized to build a big desal plant or they're a big dam or some big, you know, municipal project. And they're incentivized to do that because they make a profit on it. And the bigger the project, the bigger the profit is kind of, uh, the argument from, a lot of people why Calam is evil, but my counter argument, and this is a much weaker possibly argument, is that government isn't good at anything except for like the military, police, and fire, and and maybe you know contracting, road building. <laughs> so 
I, I don't know how how the government is going to be better at running this than Cal Am, but given that every uh, pu- private water company in the world, I mean, or at least in America, makes money on capital improvement projects, I don't understand why Cal Am is some exception sure. to that. But, well, one of the problems with trying to, say, tear down the dam and build a new one or dredge it so you can increase the capacity of the dam back to what it was when it was built is to haul all that sediment, all that sludge that's, you know, blocking up the, that's reduced the capacity. It's going to go in trucks and it has to be taken somewhere. And there's an environmental impact of, uh, of doing that and having those, all the trucks, thousands of, of truck trips that it's going to take to get that stuff out of there. So then what happened, you know, Cal-Am could come up with that idea. But then the first thing you know is environmental groups are going to want an EIR on the impact of, of thousands of truck trips out of Kashawa to wherever the stuff is going to be dumped. And then they're going to claim uh, this is too much of an environmental uh, hazard to have this, so you can't do anything with the dam but get rid of it. You know, you, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, does that sound like basically the, the, the playbook that they'll use? Yeah, the, both of what you guys are saying, there's not, and nothing I really have too much umbrage with. Uh, there's a lot of stuff Calam's done that it irritates me. They get a 10% profit on, on the money and we have to pay for it. Uh, like the taking down of the dam, which they should have been doing, um, uh, preventative work before it was ever considered to be taken down, which, you know, over time, take that sludge out as it is building up. Instead, they did just what they did with this dam, which is wait for years and years. It's kind of like what's going on with the ATC. You know, oh, we're going to build a hotel, so we're going to just not do any maintenance on on this on this building anymore. We're not going to put another dollar into it, so it gets more and more decrepit. And then it's like, hey, we got to replace this thing. Look how decrepit it looks. We got to put a nice new fancy hotel there. So there need there's a balance that too much of government and everybody else doesn't do. And and again, to the ATC, you know, it's obviously off the though it has a lot to do with water why why it didn't move so smoothly but the atc uh the state it's like a year and a half the, the states had it in abeyance because of them not handing down their decision on whether or not it has problems with what the city did with it and what they allowed with it and a year and a half so it's like, just how long are you going to sit on this? Do you not have the people to do it? Do you not care about people's investment, livelihood, the tax base of the city of Pacific Grove, or what? You just sit back and and don't don't have it be before the the uh, board of the coastal commission or the commission of the coastal commission. So it's. Uh, just so much is out of whack that just gets worse and worse because the proverbial cans kick down the road. It's just like the national debt. You know, at some point in time, you got to say, this is unhealthy. Too much money's going to debt, you know, or the city of Pacific Grove, $52 million we owe to CalPERS, but they, oh, but the, uh, the budget's balanced. To which I say, yeah, that's like you're overdrawn on your credit cards, but, you know, you're still able to turn on your lights. You know, at some point in time, you got to say enough is enough and we need to get some control or some plan here that we're going to take care of 
these problems. And there never is a plan. That's why we don't have enough leaders. We have a lot of people that just kind of go with the flow instead yeah. of leading and being proactive. Well, me, Mark and I, uh, it was a while back when we were on the radio, we, we talked a lot about this and 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 the just the purchase price of Calam and then the financing of that and so they're going to have to probably have a bond for that and then just the interest alone on purchasing Calam is I I don't know I think there's so many inefficiencies I really really feel strongly it's the wrong in re- direction and we do need a, some capital whether or not we pay Calam ten percent or we pay some contractor ten percent profit to do it they need a major capital investment whether right. it's a decent plan expanding uh, the Monterey right. Bay water building a new dam whatever it is but anyway go ahead well here's the thing I, I, even let's say that they and the the price that they want to pay for Calam is 449 million that's the offer that was made that Calam rejected but let's say that that the judge approves the eminent domain and Calam appeals it all the way up to the California State Supreme Court and they lose and they have to sell the the water system for 449 million and even if it was zero interest bonds which it won't be but just here's a little thing to do take that 449 million and divide it by 32,000 customers and that's your share of of the purchase price because the money's going to have to come from somewhere right and that's the ratepayers all throughout the district, the 32,000 customers are going to pay the $449 million. And as we mentioned, there are going to be financing costs that could be double that price or maybe another 50% of it. So let's say it comes out to $750 million, 32,000 divided into $750 million. And that's in addition to what you pay for water. That's in addition to any water projects that the district then decides to build. You know that money well, that's, has, that has to be paid 15, by all of us. I I did the math and it's fifteen to twenty thousand uh, dollars per ratepayer, depending on the price. But right. yeah, so, as opposed to the national debt, which is a quarter million dollars <laughs> per taxpayer. Now, so, you know, obviously, you know, you're again, not- government and and utilities are not the most efficiently run businesses. And the funny thing is, you have the same people go from you know, business, corporations, and the government, and there's this whole, as we all know, you know, just people rotating around that are basically inefficient and and should not be doing their, the jobs yeah. they're doing. Well, I hey, do Paul, not know. Yeah, go ahead. Mark. I was going to say that 15000 per connection, basically, would be... Um, Let's say that well, you got to pay it off in ten years. That's fifteen hundred a year on top of your water bill. Or if if you got it to twenty years, it's seven hundred and fifty dollars a year on top of whatever your bill is. So uh, that's a lot of money. Well, and there, and remember too, though, the money you're paying on your bill is going toward that debt too. So I'm not trying to minimize this. It is out, you know, absolute crazy dollar amounts, but. Calam's producing now too as those dams disappear. So we went from them getting free water, no no riparian riparian rights. They just drew the water from the river, you know, by putting out wells and stuff and putting those dams in. And now we're getting recycled wastewater in our faucets, you know, which to me isn't the greatest idea in the world. Yeah. So at some time where the and I, again I don't know if this is just one of those things has been said enough times we're going to believe it 
but I've heard many times, we've got the most expensive water in this country. That's true. How did that happen? <laughs> you know? Because well, we have a water district. Yeah, because well, we have a middleman between yeah. us and, and the water. Oh, I agree with that, too. You know, but but and we also have uh, the water district people. Then what the heck are they doing? You know, remember they wanted to dissolve it, and then the representative from my area gets elected. And as soon as she gets elected, she goes from wanting to dissolve it to I'm going to stay on here and you know get my stipend and just go along with the program. I've got to wonder because I, I honestly think some of these people are not really for democracy. I'm wondering if it's a feature, not a bug that water will go up in price because I think water has always been the lever to limit growth here. And that's why we pay so much per water. And that's why there is no water and there's limited growth. I wonder if that's like the people behind this. And that's, I mean, I, I'm not a tinfoil hat wearer. Maybe I'm sounding like one right now, but I, I don't know if they, their goal is really the lower rates. It, it might be to, to just make sure that we have a real solid control of growth. Uh, in in the county, or at least on the peninsula. So, I don't know though. We'll find out what happens. It, uh, what do what are your predictions? Do you think you think they're going to take over Calam? I don't know. I think it's going to be really hard for them to prove that there's a real public necessity to do this. This isn't like mm -hmm. like you said, Paul. This isn't like needing you know the farmer's land for the freeway. This is really kind of an arbitrary thing and. A lot of it is is driven by a particular group of people's animus towards the private water seller, and not necessarily that you know this is exigent; it must happen, right? So, I, I don't think that they have the easiest road to get this done. They could, yeah, I, I, whatever yeah, way, you know, whatever turns out, both sides, either side, if if they lose, they're going to appeal, and it'll end up going all the way to the California Supreme Court. It's, it's weird how we pick on these things. Like we pick on landlords in Monterey because they're evil and they charge too much. Or we pick on the, wa the water company because they're evil and they charge too much. We pick on PG&E because they're incompetent and they don't know how to repair their system. But has anybody ever done anything that, that's complaining about this stuff? It's like, what are they, I, don't, I don't know what they want. With the regulations and stuff, these people have a lot of headwinds. I'm not saying they're well, perfect by any means, I but think, they have a lot of headwinds with the regulations. I think too many people want to get an example what you just said about the the landlords so in monterey anybody that thinks that registry isn't a precursor to putting forward rent control needs to go back to school and or get their heads examined or something so you get enough people that say hey i want i want cheaper rent so it doesn't matter what's right democratic anything else what's onerous to people that own these buildings they're going to go after them. And I actually had somebody that listens to this program the other day. We in a discussion on next door and she said, I've lived in Pacific Grove for 20 years and I deserve the government of the city of Pacific Grove to, to, to build uh, low income housing that I can live in. And I said, well, People were just mentioning how Monterey is opening this thing. You even mentioned how Monterey was opening these places. Have you applied to stay in Monterey, to go to Monterey and live in low-income housing in Monterey? She says, no, I want to live in Pacific Grove. Well, a lot of other people want to live in Pacific Grove, uh, too. 
And, and I said this to our next door. I'm not, you know, it's and she. So if she's hearing this, it's just redundancy for her. But at some point in time, you got to say, and nobody's saying this. Nobody's really stepping up and saying, you know what? We got an unaffordable housing. And if you need workers, do something about it. If you're for some development and you build a housing development and then rent it out for full price without any of your employees living there, don't then have all your employees complaining they can't afford to work for you and live in Monterey. Well, I, I just have to say there's two simple facts. If you want cheaper houses, you build more houses and you and the. The, believe me, the the investors will figure out the houses that people want. Unfortunately, because we're in a tight market like this, the first houses they're going to build are always going to be the McMansions because they want to get the most bang for the buck, and those are the most profitable per square foot. But when they're done with that market, they will build smaller houses for the workers. The problem is here is we want to maintain the character and and some population control on the peninsula, either through water or whatever, and you do that, and you get exactly what we have right now. So if you want cheaper houses, you got to build more houses, rent control, and this goes back 50 plus years for back from Milton Friedman studying economics. Rent controls don't work. They've never worked. They work. They, they partially benefit the people who are in renting right now, but they screw, they screw the poor person in the long run. They really do. And it's, it's, it's a, it's an empirical fact and it's been proven in economic papers. I'm not kidding. Going back to like the sixties, uh, even Freakonomics has a great episode on how bad rent control sucks. And I don't know economists alive, and we should get we should get Mr. Henderson, David Henderson, on here to explain exactly why rent control sucks because because <laughs> he'll go long and hard on it. But uh, having said and that, once you get in it, you don't escape it. A friend can't. of mine was telling me they have a friend in San Francisco that for some ridiculous amount of years, like sixty years or something, has been in a rent controlled place. And I don't know the history, don't know how it happened and stuff, but to this day is spending a few hundred dollars a month in rent in San Francisco. You know, so it's like, at where does it end? And then you get the people that go in and get these subsidized housing, and it happened in, correct me, I think in Marina, some, somewhere out around there, where uh, they built a, a bunch of, I think it was Chispa was, uh, was involved, and they built some houses, and people bought them, you know, by helping, working on them, this and that, they were able to buy them. And of course, a few years later, they built equity in it because they got them so cheap and everything around them is going up in value. They want to sell them and keep the equity and move somewhere else. You yeah. know, is you blame that them? just, you yeah, know, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Now, we're, we're, we're probably, you know, we can go as long as we want because it is a podcast now. But I did want to one last program before we go. We have maybe five or ten minutes uh, is. Because this this came so Project Home Key was talking about building a house or building a a, a a motel or whatever a place for homeless people in Pacific Grove, and and there's one that's you know out in Marina and there's an article a great article in the Pinecone this week about crime skyrocketing in that inn and I want to talk to you about something before this is because as you know I own a staffing agency and there was this woman who worked for us early on in the staffing agency and she was wonderful. She was, she was like a housewife, but I think she had recently gone through a divorce or something. And, uh, she, uh, we got her job, uh, you know, a couple jobs. And then we had her as a night auditor at a, at a, at a hotel and they found her like sleeping on one of the beds and stuff. So they, they decided to terminate her employment because she was sleeping during the job. And I, I kind of got to know her a little bit and she was starting to kind of get a little bit weird. 
you know, and I think she was starting on the road to abuse, uh, drug abuse. And my staff over in Salinas would see her periodically recently, you know, just acting insane on the streets of Salinas, you know, and, and one time she was half naked and doing all these, these just bizarre things. And I think she's lost some teeth because of the drug abuse. So she went just off a cliff. And I think now they have finally, um, they, they, they went ahead and uh, institute, put her in an institution for her own benefit. And I don't understand how we can't, like, if you break your arm, you go to the hospital. If you, if you're not, if you're not doing well psychologically, I think it's the most humane thing to do is to take you to a place where you get care. And so with that as kind of a preface, I don't know, Mark, can you, can you talk about this? Uh, okay. This project? Yeah. Um, so, okay. so let's differentiate. First off, let's differentiate project home key in Marina from, from Pacific Grove in Pacific Grove. The, there was a surreptitious attempt to buy a motel out in the 1100 block of Lighthouse Avenue and turn it into a homeless shelter. And it was surreptitious. The, the intention of city staff that was uh, trying to ramrod this through was to tell as few people about this as possible because they know, I mean, everybody knows when you start saying to someone, hey, we're going to let the homeless move into your neighborhood, people right, rightfully get concerned and they want, they have a lot of questions and they want answers. And oftentimes they have perfectly good reasons for opposing this. So uh, that one, you know, went down in flames in PG. Now, Salinas was one of the first cities in Monterey County to become involved in Project Room Key, and they've taken over a number of motels, older motels in that city, and turned them into uh, basically homeless shelters. Marina didn't have one. Now, Marina has a mix of uh, newer and older motel properties. They've got some very old, you know, kind of rundown properties that, um, you know, that, that in for all intents and purposes are um, very much uh, habitated by uh, low-income people and, and uh, homeless people who have, you know, get a few bucks together for a few nights. But what Project Room Key did, and they did this through the city of Salinas and apparently through the 4th District uh, Supervisor's Office of Wendy Root, was uh, they went ahead and took over the Country Suites Motel, which is located on... It's on that street right before the beach. So as you go down Beach Road, like you're going out to the Marina Beach and there's a right-hand turn and there's like a, I think there's an RV park down at the end. And then on the bay side, there is a, um, uh, oh gosh, there's like a timeshare facility. If you're familiar with uh, with that particular area, Paul or Dan. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So. On the, the, so that timeshare facility is on the west side of the street, the bay side. On the east side of the street is this Country Suites Inn, which is probably 30, 40-year-old property that's been there. And they took this over, and they turned it into a Project Home Key. Well, apparently, now Kimberly Craig, mayor of Salinas, says, oh, yes, we told Marina officials about this. But when you talk to Mayor uh, you know Delgado, he kind of feigns ignorance. Uh, two council members, uh, McCarthy and Medina, uh, said, hey, wait a minute, what is this? We know nothing about this. And and by the way, they're not necessarily against being able to help the homeless people. But they said, our city, nobody came to us at a city council meeting and said, hey, we want to do this in your community. This just happened. 
And so yeah, you know, they're rightfully concerned. It's right, it's right across the street from a fairly high-end resort. Too. Exactly. So, That's the timeshare thing. Yeah. Now, here's the other yeah. thing. In, the, in this week's edition of the Pinecone, the headline story on the front page is that reports of crime and and drug abuse and dead bodies at the place in the in the time that it has been a project home key have gone up 900% in one year 900% and when you so, talk to so the So I want to get back to my my long-winded story about that woman who who fell into addiction is like when people say giving homeless people homes solves the problem I I, I don't always agree. It, not just put it, it creates I don't think other it's problems. The compassion. Yeah, and it's not the compassionate thing to do, in my opinion. And I and I know there's a robust argument about this, but I, right. it is not compassionate to give someone in that okay. state. That, now, uh, it, if you listen to, if you talk to the police chief in Marina, the acting police chief, Steve Russo, he says, at most hotels in town, to get 30 to 40 calls in a year's time is, is about average. But at the Country Inn and Suites, we went to 300 to 400 calls per year. That's one a day. Well, I'm sure multiple on the weekends, yeah. yeah. He said, and the call volume in a place like that is significant on a small police department. Because Marina has a very small police department. So this has mm-hmm. been something that has been a real impact um, yeah. on, so what, on that. What are, what are they going to do about it? Hopefully, maybe I'll get talk to Wendy at some point. But yeah, Well, I think the question to ask Wendy, if we ever get on the program again, is... You know, uh, why why did you um, allow something to be a secret? You know, why wasn't this really publicized in the city of Marina, in your district? Yeah, it's a, I don't know. Well, we're running out of time, or at least I am. So, uh, and you guys probably got to get going, too. So, any any final comments, Dan, on that? It was, uh, it was kind of a, you know, it's a low-key program. Maybe next time we'll have to hit some high notes. I thought the wheelie story was kind of fun, but, yeah. uh, you know, the kids doing wheelies. But, uh, anyway... Hey. Well, yeah, the the thing with Mark surreptitiously was was just to put it mildly. Literally, they said we got this place. We have a commitment from the owner in Pacific Grove, and the owner's going, "No, we're not selling this to you. Our <laughs> life is in this. We're not selling this to you." And I figured out what it would cost the city, how much they got in tot tax from there, and what our commitment would be if the state did not follow up on financing of the thing over the years because they had to provide all sorts of services. It was going to cost the city of Pacific Grove upwards of half a million dollars in new expenses and lost revenue. I know we have to, we have to fire city managers. We had to fire city managers to spend that kind well, of money. Well, he was behind that. you know. And oh, by the way, the person that brought that in and did all that surreptitiously is now our community development director. Oh. So, you know, it's like, let's fire him up. You know? <laughs> well, we live, on a positive note, we live in a very beautiful city, both uh, Monterey yes, and in Pacific Grove. And if you get the chance, the waning days of uh, Palooza over by the old Fisherman's Wharf, <laughs> they've, they have made their sweet love and they're going back to sea. But uh, I think, I, I, don't, I assume that's what they're doing over there. I, I have to ask a marine biologist, but uh, the stench will be, you know, uh, going away soon. But it, at its, at its, uh, at its high tide, I'd say there was probably over a thousand seals there. It was Amazing. insane. It was uh, it was amazing. But uh, Mark, anything uh, final? You want to say hello to your mother or anything before we go? <laughs> so many, uh, so many seals. We need more great whites. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, I was going to play that. I have a video of a great white sighting off of uh, Lover's Point, so I was going to play that, but uh, we didn't have time. Anyway, 
Uh, until next week, folks, uh, I for Dan and Mark, uh, Dan Miller, I should say, and Mark Carbonero, two of the uh, greatest men in, in the uh, this side of, um, let's see, Mark's on the other side of, let's see, uh, this side of the tunnel, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was gonna. I was. I wanted to say early, but Mark, you're on the other side of early, so I couldn't do that. Yeah. So, all right. right. Anyway, well, guys, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye, Paul. Bye, Bye Dan.